discourage uh, foreigners from coming there, from doing business there. So one thing to watch is whether or not they'll, they'll encourage the, uh, a return to that approach uh, while, while they try to you know, restore democracy uh, and the difficulties they're going to have, especially with some of their leadership, including Aung San Suu Kyi, now under detention, possibly facing very lengthy times under detention. Uh, so you know, are they going to return to that policy of discouraging uh, foreigners from visiting the country for tourism or doing business? Definitely something to watch out for. Ross, thanks very much. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group over in Taipei. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian stocks are slipping further into negative territory this morning. The SX200 down about three quarters of 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Cosby is down 0.6% over in South Korea. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open down about 0.2% in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil, $58.70 a barrel. And gold is at $1,835 an ounce. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat coming up in just a moment with Hugh Chiverton and Jim Gould. The weather forecast, fine, dry, warm. Maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees. And then the outlook is for it to be fine and warm in the next couple of days. Mist patches in the morning and at night during the weekend and early next week. The temperature right now is 18 degrees, 68% relative humidity. There is a yellow fire danger warning in force right now. Just gone 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The government is wrapping up overnight lockdowns and compulsory testing at three locations across Hong Kong. No new coronavirus cases have been found, but results are still being verified in Tun Mun. Around 240 residents were tested at a building on Tokwawan Road, and the lockdown there lifted at around 6.30 this morning. Meanwhile, the testing operations of over 1,800 people at blocks at Hingwa Estate in Chai Wan and almost 500 residents at Goodview Garden in Tun Mun were wrapped up around 7 a.m. Earlier, the Centre for Health Protection said even though the 19 new cases reported yesterday was the lowest figure in two and a half months, the coronavirus situation was not yet under control as many infections had no clear source. America's top disease control official has warned that new variants of the coronavirus are threatening to reverse recent declines in the number of cases in the U.S. Rochelle Walensky, who heads the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, urged people to keep up with prevention measures. The continued proliferation of variants, variants that likely have increased transmissibility, that spread more easily, threatens to reverse these recent trends. Based on contact tracing and recent, of recent variant cases, not wearing masks and participating in in-person social gatherings have contributed to the variant spread. The U.S. has had by far the highest number of coronavirus cases in the world and President Biden has made tackling the pandemic his top priority. A bipartisan report to the U.S. Congress has strongly urged the Biden administration to delay the planned withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. The remaining 25,000 troops are due to leave by May the 1st, but a top U.S. General, Joseph Dunford, who co-chaired the report, warned that may be too soon. The report says the U.S. should not simply hand victory to the Taliban. Meanwhile, a senior European Union diplomat visiting Afghanistan says there's a real danger of civil war as violence in the country escalates. The EU's Commissioner for Crisis Management, Yanez Lenacic, said there was a high probability of the failure of the peace process, which was launched last September, but has since faltered. He called for an immediate ceasefire. We very much hope and call for immediate 
unconditional and comprehensive ceasefire in Afghanistan now because that would increase the chances for a success of the ongoing peace process. Continued violence hardens the positions of the two sides. That's why we call for immediate ceasefire. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Jim Gould. Jim, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about the F&B industry under COVID and also about the retirement of Jeff Bezos. Struggling restaurant and bar owners are urging the government to ease social distancing measures on the industry and allow them to expand their services over Chinese New Year. At the moment, bars have been ordered shut and restaurants have to cease dine-in services after six. And these measures are scheduled to remain in place until February the 17th. Now, a group of affected businesses have proposed a five-day trial period where bars can reopen, restaurants can keep serving customers in the evening. Well, what is the current state of the food industry now as uh, Chinese New Year approaches? Uh, and uh, would you welcome such a change? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call. And our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. And later, as I say, we're going to be discussing the retirement and the legacy of Jeff Bezos. If you were the richest person on the planet... How would you want to spend your time? And I've seen one calculation that uh, Jeff Bezos earns about a million Hong Kong dollars a minute. <laughs> uh, we'll be talking with Gordon Matthews later in that. We're talking now to uh, James Robertson, owner of the restaurant train uh, Grappers uh, and Cadillac. Others will be joining us uh, uh, later in the programme, including a representative from the Hong Kong Chefs Association. Once again, if you want to comment, uh, we want to hear from you. And our address, backchat.rthk.hk. Uh, Magnus has uh, been having a kind of backwards and forwards. Magnus had, had suggested that uh, if you look at the, uh, in some earlier emails, that if you look at the uh, R number, uh, when the government introduced uh, its uh, latest kind of round of uh, anti-COVID uh, measures, it was actually uh, lower than it became. And uh, he was suggesting that the uh, measures actually made things worse in, in Hong Kong. They increased the transmission. Uh, uh, this was uh, put into question by uh, an email from uh, Kenny and now Magnus has come back on that so that's the um, previously uh, Magnus says uh, regarding Kenny's point just to clarify I did not say that the introduction of the December the 10th measures caused the increase in transmission rate I merely pointed out that it's a possibility in the absence of a controlled experiment option it's of course impossible to know with certainty the impact of any of the imposed measures positive or negative we can only do our best to infer from the data and there is simply nothing in the data to indicate that the measures imposed on December the 10th reduced transmission whatsoever my point was that in light of the behaviour of the R number since the measures were introduced it could as it easily be argued that they were actually counterproductive I then offered a reasoning as to why that scenario could be plausible people do not disappear when the government removes the option of restaurants post six o'clock or public beaches at any time and so on then the people necessarily go elsewhere perhaps to more transmission friendly settings look at the transmission data history it seems as likely that the December the 10th measures are a hindrance as that they are a help and yet despite that we 
are all subject to them for approaching two months already. And this is not a trivial inconvenience along the lines of wearing a mask. Countless businesses are going bust as a direct result. These restrictive measures and others are extremely costly, both in social and economic terms. Each imposed measure must therefore be justifiable and justified. In the case of the December the 10th measures, they are clearly not justified. That's from Magnus. Thanks very much indeed. Backchat at rthk.hk, our email address. OK, uh, James Robertson, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, you, Jim. Uh, so uh, we heard the other day uh, from the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades that the industry is set to miss out on $7 billion uh, in February owing to the continued uh, restrictions uh, and that about 3,000 restaurants were on the verge of being forced to close. I mean, it sounds pretty bad. It is pretty bad. Mm. Uh, um, how are things for you? I know you, you, you have a number of outlets, don't you? Yeah, we have about, uh, well, we have 13, 12 licenses, uh, and, um, yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, uh, and I, I got one that we are just talking about uh, yesterday, our management team, and uh, in 2000, uh, 2019, at a little bar over in Chumsachui, and it did uh, a little over $7 million, uh, in sales in 2019. That was down from $8 million the year before because we had the demonstrations going on, and the latter half of 19, and then in 20 we did 2.1 million from 7.1 to 2.1 million uh, in drop in sales because we're closed for four and a half five months during 2020, and yet our landlord still wants uh, wants rent. Uh, we're going to probably close the place. There's no, there's no choice, but there's no protection whatsoever. I mean, as I've said previously, uh, the landlords are the giant elephant in the room, and, and there's been no uh, mandate for. Uh, from government, there's mandate to close your bar, there's mandate to reduce your operating hours and serving hours, but there's no mandate to take a haircut for the landlords. I mean, I just read uh, yesterday or something about uh, Pure Fitness and a couple of other those kind of players that landlords suing them for uh, for rent because they're not paying the rent. Well, if you're closed for five months out of the year, how are you supposed to pay the rent that was agreed three or four years prior? I mean, there's got to be some uh, quid pro quo here, but that hasn't happened. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the 6 p.m., and now there's a, a group of guys who I don't know that were in the, in the press yesterday about uh, let's have a five-day trial around Chinese New Year or whatever. Yeah, yeah. we'll be sure talking to one I'm, of them later, actually. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But, okay. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure a five-day trial is, is in order. I think uh, some gradual uh, loosening and, and let's keep going is better. I mean, yesterday was 19 cases. It was, it's, there was a letter to the editor yesterday, or the day before, rather, from Paul Shu, uh, one of our competitors in the industry, and uh, he was just pointing out we're eight weeks, and uh, government servants and everybody still get their full pay, and we got lots of people laid off, and they don't have income, and there's there's no assistance. In the UK, they they pay if you put them on no pay leave, the government's paying them eighty percent of the salary, and so that the people can really exist. You know, here in Hong Kong, we, we're laying some of our people, not laying them off, we're <coughs> placing them on no-pay leave. How do they make ends meet? And people in this industry, most of them live paycheck to paycheck. And you, you, you force the no-pay leave, and we have no choice because we have no income. We have no revenue. So what are we supposed to do? So the restaurants are trying to survive, and some are and some aren't. I would say there's many, many, many uh, little clothes between now and right after Chinese New Year or before Chinese New Year, it's, 
It's everybody's on tender hooks. And there seems to be a new awakening. Uh, when I see golf and tennis are now going to be okay. Yeah. And golf and <clears throat> tennis have been banned for the last, I don't know how long, two months. And so now there's been a hue and a cry. The tennis coach is saying they got no income. And uh, two people or four people on the size of a tennis court is a lot different than riding on the MTR or sitting in a waiting room at Queen Mary, which is just packed out. The government can pack out the uh, hospital uh, reception, but you, you can't still play tennis. Well, now they're coming to the coming to the party. And I think really, when you get down to the 6 p.m. thing, which I've said on this show before in previous uh, encounters, that the government, I mean, business districts, whether it's Chum uh, Sa Chui or uh, Mongkok or Quarry Bay or Causeway Bay or Central, the, the rank and file, they work nine to six. And at six o'clock, they pour out, and what do they do? Now they go to the public transport and they go home because there's nowhere to go. Oh, maybe one or two go shopping, but nobody's in the shopping mode uh, mood these days. And at the same time, you've got the government saying, oh, all the restaurants, everybody has to close at 6 o'clock. So you've got the whole population in these dense areas all going to public transport at the exact same hour. I mean, it's like the government, they're not thinking at all. They're actually forcing everybody to gather closer to all transport at the same moment. I mean, how, how rational or illogical is that? It's not rational, it's totally illogical. If you, if you gave some more hours on the, the closure for the restaurants, that would scatter some of the transport load out. But no, they've been just the opposite. And of course, when you didn't have golf courses, I don't know how many people play golf or how many people play tennis, but those people, too, were all mingling in, in the, the mass transit at the same time. Well, now there's going to be a little fresh air and some golf, and hopefully the beaches are going to open. Not that I'm a beach person, but, you know, let's spread the population out in in America, you see all these New York and California, all the rest, all serving outdoors. Everybody has to serve outdoors. Well, in Hong Kong, the Food and Environment Hygiene Department doesn't like outdoor dining. Uh, a vast majority, like 70 to 80 percent of applications for outdoor dining uh, area are rejected. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, uh, hang on. There's, a, there's an email from Leon who says, uh, I fully support the idea of allowing restaurants to reopen for evening dining, but it might be too early to allow bars and live music venues to open, given the manner in which many of them, particularly in the Soho and Fong areas, clearly turned a blind eye to the social distancing rules that were previously in place, allowing huge crowds to congregate. That's from uh, Leon. What about restaurants, but not bars? Well, I, I mean, people do behave differently. He's right. I mean, people do behave differently in bars and in the bar areas, don't they? Uh, well, there seems to be a, a, a vast tendency now in the various areas. It used to be Lankwai. Now it's moved a, a little ways away where people stand in the street, they're yeah. drinking their beer and smoking their cigarette. They, there's no social distancing whatsoever. So I, I agree with that. But they can do that same thing standing in front of a 7-Eleven. So... It's not just the bars that are responsible here. But, um, yeah, I, I would think that uh, I would be thankful we just started having a uh, loosening up in a gradual uh, uh, gradual way. I mean, you think about this, the eight weeks it's been now, we've had this 6 p.m. and the bars closed, and it's only in the last four or five days that we've actually seen the numbers dropping. I mean, it's only a, 
a week ago or 10 days ago, we were still having 50, 60, 90, whatever it was, uh, cases. So the cases aren't, it's not related to they closed the bars. The bars were closed for eight weeks, and there was no impact until now. So it's not the bars that are contributing to this. Okay, well, uh, we're now also joined by Marcus Liu, who's a representative of uh, Wan Chai Connect and uh, a restaurant owner himself. Uh, hello, good morning. Good morning. Good so, morning. So, um, so you were part of this group who was suggesting uh, yesterday uh, yeah. that uh, we could have a five-day trial period starting from the 9th of February where, where bars and restaurants can keep uh, serving customers in the evening and then see what happens. Uh, can you tell us more about how that would work? Because uh, at the moment right now, uh, we don't see any factual uh, support to show that, to indicate that the restaurant is the main indicator in order to, I mean, for for the for COVID-19. Especially, like, I, we don't see a reason that why after 6 p.m. that have that dinner ban and also, yeah, just banning, I mean, don't allow the bar to open because... Uh, we, we would like to encourage the government to allow us to open during this five days. Why is that? Because we have a lot of sample size of gathering. But, I mean, we will see that in two weeks later, that if, if the infected cases that uh, doesn't show, I mean, don't, didn't show anything related to us, then we should open. I don't see a solid ground to opposing us for opening. And... Simply, like, the public have a very negative image on F&B business, the bar, and uh, think that it's very dangerous, though, but we don't see the point. We, 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 see the, uh, uh, we saw the news that people sitting in the apartment because of the water pipe stuff, they got impacted, right? I mean, it's, I know it's ridiculous, but uh, it's not, yeah, and I think we, we do have a responsibility to open as well because we, we, we don't want to cut our stuff. Especially during the Chinese New Year period of time. Is that right? You think the the public have a negative image of the F and B business? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of appreciation for the for the, the lengths that uh, that places go to to make sure that people are distant and have hand sanitizer and wear masks at the right time and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, at least people feel negative about the hot pot, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, during winter time we all do hot pot, but when the first wave. Uh, I still remember that because of some hot, I mean, cases due to hot pot, and we are very, I mean, we all have a very bad image of having hot pot during winter time. And especially, I understand we need to keep our social distancing, and and those experts think that the bar, I mean, is a dangerous place to go. Again, from the recent cases, we don't see a point, even though, like, some restaurant and bar, I mean, they do serve bar. They do serve alcohol during daytime. We, we see a lot of mingling and chatting. I know it's not a good image for that, but we don't see a solid evidence that indicating that they have impacted cases. Okay, our number is 233 uh, We've got a caller on the line now. Jim. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to express a few opinions. Uh, one is the restaurant. Um, I don't think that the virus is being spread by the restaurant staff uh, or employees, but when you're sitting and eating, either two people to a table or two people divided by a small petition, uh, you don't have your mask on. 
you're laughing, you're exchanging opinions, you're talking, you're drinking, you're smoking. Well, not smoking, but anyway, so when you, you don't know that if you're contracting the virus in that restaurant, but the chances are probably pretty good that uh, you could. So it's, uh, it's maybe a precaution to keep the restaurants uh, managed. Um, the other thing is I wanted to point out that I haven't heard anything um, about the vac- vaccine. And I don't know if people in Hong Kong are aware of uh, Operation Warp Speed. Um, is, there, is there any awareness in Hong Kong about the Warp Speed? That's, that's the American program, is it, so, uh, to vaccinate people? Sorry? That's the, that's the program in the United States, to vaccinate people. It was not a program. Oh, to, sorry, was, to develop uh, the vaccine, yeah. It was not a program. It was an executive order mm-hmm. that, was, <laughs> that was issued by uh, a former president, and it was approved by the Congress and the Senate and budgeted for $80 billion to, uh, to develop a vaccine by January 2021. It wasn't just for the United States. It was uh, to develop a vaccine for the planet. And uh, it was pretty much successful in that uh, the the uh, former president uh, marshaled all the expertise and skills to manage the development of this unique vaccine in a period of seven months. Um, I was in the States from... March to December, and when he, there were two programs that he, he, he started. One was called Warp Speed, and uh, he put that together. You can Google that if you like, and it will, you can explain it to people that aren't aware. And then he put together something called the CARES Act, which C-A-R-E, CARE Act, and it was also approved at one point something trillion dollars to give a stimulus package for people that needed it and who were affected. Yet I never hear anything about uh, these programs uh, that benefited not only uh, Americans, but it benefited the planet in having this, uh, this financing and putting together these teams worldwide, uh, chemical companies and everybody else. Nobody else came up with that. Uh, the Chinese didn't do it. Uh, they did it on their own. Uh, the Russians, uh, English, the French. But uh, this was put together by one person. So that's all I just wanted to do. Okay. Jim, m- many thanks for your call. 233-88266 is our number. Uh, if you want to uh, uh, respond uh, to that. Uh, Marcus, you, what, what about the point Jim was making there? That I mean, is is... It's not exactly dangerous uh, dining, but, you know, you take your mask off, you're socialising, you're in close proximity to other people. It's more dangerous than, than, than other activities. And, uh, and, and you mentioned, the, you know, the outbreak of a hot pot in the, uh, you know, associated with a hot pot meal in the first wave. Uh, there was also in the bars, there was in Chimsa Choi, wasn't there? There was, a, there was some cases that ha- had happened uh, with a band and, and so on. So, I mean, there have been cases in Hong Kong which are tied I, I, to... I, I, understand, I understand there are risks for all kinds of contexts in terms of getting, I mean, infected by, I mean, infected COVID-19. The thing is, it's all about, to, 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 be, to me, or to our industry, I think it's all about that if we strictly, I mean, uh, of 
uh, doing a good job of doing a good job in terms of tracking and tracing, just forcing the customer to get into using the Live Home app. I mean, by the government, then I don't see. I mean, as long as we can track and trace, I think we can we can tackle the COVID nineteen situation in Hong Kong really well. Okay. And you, as you can see, the news yesterday, I just saw the news that, that even the government is forcing their employees, the officials, to use the Live Home app for getting. I mean, checking in or checking out the building. I mean, the, the, the government building. So I, 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 we feel like that if we force our customer to use the Lipum app, I we understand all kind of funders have risk. But the thing is all about track and trace. And we, if we do a good job, and I think that we should having some, I mean, relaxing on the constraints in terms of the ban order. Yeah, so that's our point. Okay, uh, we've got another caller, Tony. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Go ahead. Hello. 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 Can you? Uh, I was listening to radio this morning about this this, this um, guy. He he said that um, the the government's putting all these people on MTR and 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 they, he's not like opening his restaurants. But the difference is, when people go on the MTR, they they must wear masks. And when people go to the restaurants, they take off their mask and they talk. Yeah. So there there is a big difference. J- Hello? Yeah, Jr. Do you want to respond to that? There, there's a difference, yeah, I guess there is, but uh, you can't eat with a mask on, whether you're at home or in public or wherever, so there's going to have to be yeah. some relaxation. Yeah, yeah, but the difference is, yeah, you can eat. Eating's not the problem. I, I don't think eating's the problem. It's talking. It's when they're talking. It's the problem. It's when they're spreading their saliva. Yeah? And so, for, for, for instance, if you want to save your business, if you have a new rule, say, if you don't wear, if you if you're not wearing a mask, don't talk. You know, you can eat, yeah. But if you're eating, I don't think you're spreading your saliva um, with the virus. But but if you if you're talking, you are spreading the, the saliva. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm oh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, there are various distancing requirements, aren't there? I mean, tables have to be, what was it, one and a half metres apart, and at the moment it's only uh, two diners per table. Um, a lot of places have protective screens and so on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like I say, I, 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 don't, I don't think that actually makes a difference. It's, it's just the talking bit, mm. especially Chinese people. Chinese people like to shout, you know. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Tony. And, and to, to, to be honest, a lot of restaurants, I think, you know, they have quite low screens now in between um, uh, tables, and they even have holes in the screen so you can pass food yeah, yeah. through things like yeah. that. So people kind of sidestep the rules quite a bit now. It seems to me. Yeah. With, with, it, 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 like I said, the, it, it's only the talking bit. Mm. I, I think the flavours only spread by talking. It's like a lot of these pubs and restaurants and and and, and all these industries, you know. If if, if they had a new rule, if, you, if you're not wearing a mask, right, uh, don't talk. Simple, you know. And uh, we we have to beat the virus. Uh, yeah. Ma- Tony, thanks for your yeah, call. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, yeah thank you, okay. uh, Tony. Uh, yeah, Marcus Liu, because your group also wants the two-person per table requirement uh, relaxed, um, don't you? I mean, yeah. if it was, uh, uh, I mean, do you have a figure in mind? I mean, I think it was four before, wasn't it? Uh, as I said, we think the most important part for us is uh, uh, forcing our customers using the 
three from three from the application. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the phone. I mean, when they check in or check out, and as long as we can track and trace, I don't see. As I said, we don't see a solid case. What, what about what about in making that the use of the app for the tracing app um, uh-huh. compulsory? So you could only go in a restaurant if you had downloaded that yeah. app. Would, would you support yeah. that? Yeah, support that. Okay. In order, I mean, because I know that it's kind of like uh, extra work for customers to come in to having a good dinner or getting a drink. But the thing is that we we are okay with that. We all cool with that. Because as long as we can open, the thing that we we should we should care about the public, and we should forcing our customer to using the live home safe application. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you are not allowed to get come in my shop for eating or getting a drink or even whatever boring or mask. Yeah. J- Jr., yeah. would you support that? What about that as an idea? Well, I think the the app thing is uh, quite a good idea, and. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing a family, uh, say a, a husband, wife, and a daughter, and a son, or whatever, and they have to separate at the table even though they live in the same flat. And they, they eat at home, they, they use the same uh, shower facilities, bathroom facilities, etc. It, it makes no sense this this two, two to a table. Singapore is up to eight now. They have eight uh, maximum at one table. I can't imagine. That's, and they, they're open until 10.30. 10.30 in the evening. Uh, Singapore's ahead of Hong Kong? I don't know, but uh, it seems that they're more liberal-minded, and they had their outbreaks in the dormitories for foreign workers and what have you, but that's finally under control. But that's a, <coughs> that was a little bit different than the, the restaurant thing. Okay. So uh, I think the app is a good idea, uh, and I think uh, you can have families and more than two for certain I mean, four to six is not a big deal. Okay. Well, we're also... A lot of big and cheap anyway. Okay, with, with James we Robinson, sorry, we're out, we're out of time. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us, owner of the restaurant train, Grappers and uh, Cadillac. We're going to be joined by Chef and others after the news at nine, also talking about the retirement of uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, stay with us. Give us a call, 233-88266. The weather will be fine, dry and warm. 18 degrees now. Humidity is at 67%. It's about whether to strip a Republican representative of her role on two key congressional committees. Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia is said to have encouraged bogus conspiracy theories Series, made anti-Semitic online comments and expressed support for messages calling for violence. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat this Thursday morning with Jim Gould and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the F&B industry, restaurants and bars uh, in Hong Kong and uh, the uh, COVID measures. Later, we're also going to be talking, uh, thinking about the uh, retirement of uh, Jeff Bezos, at least as uh, head of, uh, of uh, Amazon. Uh, what's he going to do now? Uh, how is he going to uh, spend uh, the money that uh, he makes? Uh, according to one calculation I saw, uh, he gets about, he earns about a million Hong Kong dollars a minute. <laughs> Almost unimaginable, really. Uh, so if you had all the money in the world, practically, uh, how would you want to spend your time? We're going to be talking to uh, Gordon Matthews, the professor of anthropology at Chinese University, who's uh, written quite a lot about kind of a meaning of life for uh, for people. Uh, your thoughts on that and on uh, COVID measures and the F&B industry. Uh, very welcome. Call us on 233-88266 or email backchat at rthk.hk. We're joined now by Marcus Liu, who's a representative 
of uh, Wan Chai Connect and restaurant uh, owner. And we're also joined now by Anita Chang, who's executive, executive committee member of the Hong Kong Chefs Association. Uh, we'll hear from them in, in just a moment. Actually, one, one uh, comment on Facebook about uh, uh, staff uh, who says, uh, from Jean, who says, I completely agree that closing public areas and shortening times seems inversely proportional to social distancing. However, I'm also dismayed that the F&B industry has allowed their staff even to work while they are sick. This is unhygienic, even in non-pandemic times. I would propose the F&B regulate themselves, since the government does not seem to, and in addition, test their staff who are ill. A better suggestion, instead of the five-day thing, this is a test period that was suggested, is to have event testing. Hold a party, but everyone has to be tested negative, both staff and patrons. This is not foolproof, but will lead the way to some economic recovery. That is uh, from Jean. Karen says, uh, I don't get why an international city has not prioritised getting the vaccine here as soon as possible. This seems to be the only way out of the situation. The doctor on a previous programme said there's no urgency because the cases are low, so hospitals are not struggling as much as other countries. Meanwhile, as we're hearing, businesses are struggling, people are losing their jobs, restaurants are on their knees, and we are all stuck here. Vaccines, please. Then we can start to get back to normal. At least we'll be moving forward, not stuck in this awful Groundhog Day. That comes uh, from uh, Karen. And uh, Matthew says, We always hear the pro-Beijing catering industry advocates like Tommy Chung, Alan Zeman, and the various industry associations making noise about relaxing restrictions on their businesses. But I've not heard them pushing the Hong Kong government to catch up with the rest of the developed world and implement a vaccine programme. It should be a fairly simple matter to set up a programme in a relatively small and efficient city like Hong Kong. Why hasn't the government done this yet? It can't be because the pandemic Democrats are blocking it in LegCo. And by the way, it wasn't purging opposition supposed to free the system up to more effectively deliver on key livelihood issues. Is there anything more important to livelihood and the economy than an effective vaccine programme? Why aren't people like Tommy and Alan advocating for this? Is it a don't-mention-the-war type thing that's taboo for patriots to touch because it would hurt Beijing's feelings to start vaccinating us with effective non-Chinese developed vaccines after the mainland-developed Sinovac vaccine failed to be accepted? Or is there a more logical explanation? That's uh, from uh, Matthew. Uh, Magnus says, regarding JR's point about increased density of people in public transport at 6 to 7 because restaurants are closed from 6, yes, likely so. But a far bigger issue is where does that public transport take all those people? Where do we think that everyone simply goes to their own apartment and stays there? People not only go home to their own apartments, but also to friends' apartments to have drinks, dinner and socialise. I.e. we are simply substituting one social dinner setting for another. And of course, precisely zero social distancing. Mask wearing will be taking place in the private setting. That comes uh, from uh, Magnus. Uh, Jay says drinks can be consumed through a straw. The government is up to something. And uh, Marlon says, I wonder if other listeners and Backchat are as suspicious as I am that your caller Jim is actually your more regular haranguer, Mike. Whatever, Mike or Jim is to be thanked for not raising their fallen idol, Trump. That comes from Marlon. Well, I think we're about to find out, Hugh, because uh, as, it, as it happens, uh, we have Mike on the line. Hello, good morning. I am Dr. Mike. I'm not Jim. And this is something that you're... Uh, it'll, it'll answer Karen's question, and it's, a, and it's a point that you haven't read, um, Hugh. I've written a couple of emails, and this is one email you, for, you seem to always forget and it was a it was a quote from the surgeon general of the united states 
on Good Morning America. And if you listen to that whole interview with Stepanopoulos, he says that they hope that the vi- that the uh, 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 corona vaccine will show some evidence of stopping person-to-person transmission. But so far, it hasn't. And it doesn't. So I ask a couple of experts that happen to be in my family, and they just say, Dad, that's what a, that's what a flu vaccine does. It just makes the symptoms that you have much less. It doesn't prevent person to person. So the idea that you're going to you know, stop this by getting a vaccine to everybody, I just thought I'd bring some, some CDC information to you. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much, Mike. We'll talk uh, more uh, about uh, vaccines on another day, no doubt. Um, this morning, the main topic, of course, is the effect of the restrictions uh, on the catering industry, the restaurant business. Um, so, uh, Anita Cheng, Executive Committee Member of uh, the Hong Kong Chefs Association. Hello. Good morning to you. Hi. Uh, good so, morning. so, 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 um, what effect is this having uh, on you and your colleagues? as many chefs as possible over uh, last night on these and um, first of all of course it, you know for them is um, whether they get who paid or no pay leave uh, majority of the chefs that I talked to actually uh, their establishments are practicing no pay leave except for like a few uh, from two days to half a month so this is a simple equation so for them this is the one straightforward impact In general, they are uh, the workforce are more stable. Uh, they become more flexible, uh, more cost conscious, and pushing their own boundaries to multitasking and be more creative. Also, to learn to be more concerned about the establishment survival and have a better understanding of the difficulties of management. Kind of like uh, that, uh, that we are on the same boat. Kind of feeling. So there are like plus and minus uh, for the situation, uh, the way we see it. And yeah, I, I mean, are, are there a lot of chefs uh, who've uh, lost their jobs? Uh, a lot of uh, chefs out of work, looking for work at the moment. I think uh, there there are like you know no statistics on that. Uh, people talk about people losing jobs, but at the same time, uh, I think there are like you know. For example, the closing of uh, uh, restaurants, etc. Uh, and then many, uh, for the people that I talk to, they have friends that are not working right now, um, but they are also kind of like positive about, like you know, the um, uh, turning back of the situation once uh, the uh, relief of like uh, the situation. However, I think, you know, if you ask me, like, you know, the numbers of how many, I cannot give you because there's no such a, a, a survey, like, you know, on the exact number. But I think in general, there are a lot of this situation and the restaurants are not replacing uh, the vacancies in general. What do you think about the, uh, this idea from... Uh, Marcus Liu's uh, group about having a five-day trial period uh, where bars and restaurants uh, can reopen in the evenings, um, keep serving customers, and uh, 
and uh, also um, the two-person per table limit requirement could be eased. Um, what's your view about that? Well, actually, for for everybody will be like if you talk to kind um, on on the in, in the industry will support uh, the lifting of the evening ban. I think uh, let's let's put about like you know um, I think the logic for most people is like you know okay uh, it's good for the business, but. Let's go back to the very basic logic of why is lunch okay and dinner not okay? I think that's the simple logic that the government has to answer. Because is it like you know the um, the uh, the virus is only active in the evening? I, I think a lot a lot of people make this point. I think the maybe the answer would be that. Um, uh, it would be good if you could close. It would be good from a health, public health point of view if you could close restaurants completely at lunchtime and in the evening. But um, it's better. But they found when they tried to close them at lunchtime, they found that there were a lot of ordinary working people who needed to eat out, and so it was a bad situation. So this is the best that they they can do. So they can they can close it in the evening and they can manage that. So it's not perfect, uh, but it's but it's better. So I guess that would be the government response. Yeah. But I, but I think you know we 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 know about the response we heard about mm. it. But the but the logic of like you know if you allow this in the morning for breakfast for lunch, and then dinner is actually in general is not as busy as as the uh, afternoon chef. Let's put it that way. Uh, if the situation is because at, at, right right now I think um, the F&B industry is actually doing more than both other industry on keeping us safe mm. to take like safety measure in restaurants and and this is also like a plus side because of the the, the, the COVID-19 uh, the industry is like you know the cautiousness of health and safety and um, a hygienic kitchen all these are working sure, well sure. So, Miss Chang sorry sorry we just had we did have a comment on a Facebook perhaps you could respond to it uh, the comment says uh I am dismayed that the F&B industry has allowed their staff to even to work while they are sick. This is unhygienic even in non-pandemic times. I would propose the F&B regulate themselves since the government does not seem to. Uh, are you aware of that as a problem, uh, Anita Chen? I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, uh, it depends on, you know, because there are uh, magnitude of sickness. So, for example, like uh, you have, uh, if you're dizzy or you are, you have a flu. So I, I do not think uh, uh, restaurants are like, you know, will, will like encourage their, their staff to say like, you know, you cannot take leave uh, because you're sick. I don't think, uh, I think they're very humanic, like any other industry. It's like, you know, we shouldn't, on this kind of issue, we shouldn't just focus on F&B. We should talk about every, all the employers, all the uh, workers. Uh, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the people that the employee has to has the right to to uh, ask for like sick leave, and the employer also have the responsibility to allow that. I don't think it's a, a special situation in FNB, and so or highlighted as the FNB uh, issue. Okay, M Marcus Liu, do you want to respond yeah. to that? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, too much stuff. I don't know because. When you're getting sick during these days, I usually tell them to go, go home and take a rest for that. And I don't, I mean, we're responsible. Uh, we take precautions because, like, investment in F&B business in Hong Kong is quite uh, a lot of money. So we don't risk for that. 
Mm. All right, a couple more comments perhaps you could just respond to as well, Mr. Liu. Uh, Magnus in an email says, I'm not sure whether the, ta the table plastic dividers are even legal. The law seems to be quite clear regarding only two persons per table, regardless of how stupid that is vis-a-vis -vis varying size of tables. Maybe it's been updated. In any case, there are multiple scientific studies involving particle dynamics which show that dividers are counterproductive. COVID transmission is largely via the airborne route and dividers create eddy effects with the result that fine particles are trapped exactly where you don't want them to be, all around you at the table. That's uh, from Magnus. And John says, surprise, surprise, the F&B proponents are now COVID-19 experts. COVID-19 spreads indoors and restaurants where people are not wearing masks. They talk, etc. So they are increasingly vulnerable. It's airborne droplets in the air which can spread up to seven metres. Nothing the F&B experts say will change the science. A five-day trial is pure stupidity. It's clear the F&B industry experts prefer to play Russian roulette uh, with its customers. That comes uh, from John. Uh, Mr Liu, anything you want to say to John? Everything's at a trade-off. Okay, you can say, just get rid of all kinds of contact, all kinds of public, I mean, social distance. I mean, like, we, we just get rid of all the contacts and all the meetings and all that, physical meetings and all that. So, but does it, but, I mean, is there any strong evidence pointing at that? In the recent cases that we got any infected cases? No. So, I mean, the point is not... In F&B, we are victims, and we're trying to sustain our business, not only because that we want to make so much money, we are losing money for the whole year, but seeing that we don't want to lay off any more staff, and we want to fight all together, to fight with, I mean, the, the, the COVID, but then, I mean, we still have to survive. And we, we are forcing our customer to, for using the Live Home Safe applications, because we provide a good job in terms of track and tracing for the disease, then I don't feel like we, we, we should deserve some uh, room or some space for us to open during these five days because it gives us some hope to sustain in the business. Otherwise, that we can see that the unemployment rate was going really high. We're searching. We'll be searched to like a couple percent, percentage points. And... Can you, to be honest, can you can can those people name of some solid cases that we have a big group of infected cases in in in, in B locations? No. I mean, if you, if they talk about, I, I would say that they they saying something that to me is a tautology. So if you have contact, you have some risk. You are airborne, you know, the virus, whatever. But then we we still need to survive. And we still make a living. So, yeah, we, we, we are supporting the government applications. And we are doing our best to make us to open, to, to at least pay some rent or pay the paychecks for the employees. And I, I, think, I think we can do a good job. And I want the public to believe in F&B business because we are really professional. We are not allowing the staff to get in sick and still working, no. Not, not doing this even in the usual times. 
Okay. Just, sorry, just quickly, a couple of emails just to finish off. Uh, Alan says, uh, lunch and dinner. At lunch, most people just eat and go back to work. At dinner, people spend longer at the table. They drink, they talk, they spray virus on each other for an hour. It's obviously more dangerous for dinner. Uh, on the MTR, even shoulder to shoulder, everyone has a mask. Most trips are less than 30 minutes. Few people are chatting. The risk is much lower. And please don't give a platform to Mike to spout his opinions about vaccines. He says it's from the CDC. Fine, talk to someone from the CDC. We don't need his spin on it. Uh, uh, Rick says, why are you looking for logic with the stupid rules this incompetent government has inflicted on us? Two to a table when three of us live in the same flat. Yesterday I witnessed a lady with three young children in a private club. Two tables, two metres apart. I watched her struggle. It's utter madness. That comes uh, from Rick. And uh, one more comment from Jay, I think who says, um, who quotes a CNN story, uh, uh, the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine appears to substantially reduce transmission of the virus rather than simply preventing symptomatic infections, UK researchers have suggested. The rate of positive PCR tests declined by about half after two doses, according to preliminary results by researchers at the University of Oxford that have yet to be peer-reviewed. Um, their analysis... Uh, also supports spacing out doses and estimates good efficacy after just one shot of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. That's, uh, as I say, from Jay. Thank you very much indeed for all those comments. Um, thank you very much mm -hmm. to, to our guest, to uh, Anita Cheng, Executive Committee Member of the Hong Kong Chefs Association, and uh, Marcus Liu, a restaurant owner and New People's Party uh, representative. Okay, and we're now uh, joined uh, on the line by Gordon Matthews, who's a professor of anthropology at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And we're going to talk to Gordon Matthews about uh, the decision uh, by uh, Jeff Bezos uh, to step down um, as uh, the head uh, of Amazon and also what the legacy of Jeff Bezos uh, is likely to be in the future, given the way that... Uh, Shopping habits and consumerism uh, has changed greatly in the past few years. Uh, uh, good morning to you. Morning. So, um, well, uh, what, what do you think about... I mean, it came as a bit of a surprise, actually. Nobody was really expecting uh, Jeff Bezos to stand down at, at this stage. Um, but uh, um, what do you think is uh, going on there? I mean, he obviously wants to do other things. He's got interests in, uh, in climate change and space travel. Um, I guess uh, he's got such a large personal fortune that um, he can pretty much do what he wants now, yes? What do you think? Well, it, this reminded me of, of Bill Gates a few years ago who, who stepped down. And Gates had a, 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 not a stellar, repu a stellar reputation for innovation, but not a stellar reputation for being a, a good human being. And that has shifted by his work in, in uh, a number of charitable causes, of course. And uh, I imagine Bezos might be thinking the same thing. I don't know. I'm no more an expert than you are. But if you are the world's richest person, and then uh, suddenly you say, well, how am I going to be remembered after I'm dead? That may lead to a considerable shift in what you want to do in the later part of your life. You think that's a real motivation for people about, about their, their future legacy? I imagine it is. I mean, you know, when I was in college, I used to hate uh, capitalists in their suits and ties, but somebody like Bezos wasn't that different for me. I mean, hell, the, the guy worked in McDonald's when he was a, a, a secondary school student and so on. So, uh, I, you know, I, I'm trying to imagine what he must be thinking. 
And yes, obviously Amazon was extraordinary in its innovation, but it also had a reputation for exploiting its workers. Uh, Bezos probably is thinking, well, what should I do now? And it might be space exploration. That's certainly one thing he's been involved in, but also uh, a charitable work of many different kinds. Time just to do something new. I'm, I'm sure that's what he's thinking. And what about the effect on human behaviour that uh, that Amazon has uh, uh, brought about? You know, I mean, people, you know, um, ordering things at home online instead of actually going out to shops and shopping malls. Well, that's had obviously an, an enormous effect, and that effect has become all the greater in a time of COVID nineteen when we're at home anyway, and Amazon is this behemoth bringing us everything. So the the effect has been enormous. Now, has it been positive? Well, it certainly caused, for example, a lot of bookstores to go out of business, as, as well as other retail businesses. Um, who can say ultimately what is positive and what is negative, but the effect undoubtedly has been enormous. If it weren't for Amazon, it would have been some other company, but in fact it has been Amazon, and that's why Bezos apparently is the richest man in the world. I think uh, the last thing I read, he's actually Elon kind of the Musk. second. Yeah, I think <laughs> yes. he's uh, Elon Musk. is. But they okay. share the, uh, one thing is they share that interest in space. They both, they both want to develop mm. space programs, yeah. and Richard Branson as well. This is, this is the billionaire's toy these days, isn't it? A space program. And yes, it is number two. That's right. Elon Musk is one. But when we get to those hundreds, when we get to that massive amount of money, I mean, who can count yeah. it yeah. yes. So they, what is, I mean, what's the thinking? That they've conquered Earth and now they've, they've, <laughs> they've got to find new frontiers? I think so. And that's certainly one of it. Time to venture into something new that governments are, are more reluctant to invest money in. It has to be these extraordinarily rich private entrepreneurs in things like space flight, in, I mean, for that matter, Google looking at life extension and immortality and so on. These are the areas these guys venture into. But also, I'm sure it's the legacy of how you want to be remembered after you're dead. How much do you think they care about what people think of them? Because uh, I think Jeff Bezos... I don't know if he's got many admirers. I, 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 um, I don't know. What do you think the impression of most people's impression of Jeff Bezos is? I'm not well, but, but Bill Gates didn't either mm. uh, until the last uh, few years when indeed he has accrued them for his work against malaria and so on. Now, obviously, space exploration is a different matter from uh, being a, a, a charitable foundation, as Gates has been, but nonetheless... I'm sure it's the ultimate legacy. I mean, you know, do you want to go down in history as a, uh, an as basically an exploiter as well as an innovator of your fellow human beings? I don't think so. So I think that is a factor. You know, uh, it's not only wanting to be remembered as a business innovator and exploiter. You want to be remembered as something more. So I, I'm, I'm obviously I am not Jeff Bezos. I can't say, but that's got to be a factor. It's. it's of course, it's sort of an American thing, isn't it? As well, there's, I mean, a lot of the um, uh, the billionaires from the past and the oil barons and so on, they became known as as uh, philanthropists, really. And you still kind of associate their names with with uh, charitable institutions and museums and, and and things like that. Sure, Andrew Carnegie Libraries, mm. absolutely. I went to an Andrew Carnegie Library when I was a kid. Yeah, his name is on these libraries. So yes, this is a, a sort of American tradition in a sense. Um, more than in other countries. 
And, uh, and uh, Jeff Bezos has given a lot of money into re research into climate change, uh, which is talked about as being a, an ex existential threat uh, by the new US uh, administration. Um, do you think that's a way that he's thinking that uh, you know, he can sort of make a difference to uh, you know, uh, improvements in conditions for humanity? I'm, I'm quite sure that's exactly what he's thinking, because this is one more area where governments uh, are having trouble acting together, whereas uh, a, a private entrepreneur with uh, an, an infinite amount of money like Bezos may indeed be able to make a shift. And so, yeah, again, it's a matter of how is he going to be remembered? What are we going to see on his Wikipedia page 100 years from now? Simply that, you know, he was uh, voted by some organizations as the worst employer in America, mm. as, as he was, or he helped save the planet in the last 20 years of his life by investigating climate change. I think it's the latter that he would like to see. Mm. Okay, uh, an email from uh, James uh, who says, uh, talk about the retirement of Jeff Bezos, really? I guess it's a very safe topic for RTHK. You won't upset anyone in the administration. Meanwhile, you could have used the airtime on someone more inspiring like Sir Tom Moore and how and why that humble spirit seems limp in Hong Kong. Good luck in trying to remain relevant. That comes uh, from, from, from James, as I say. Um, Gordon Matthews, do you know who Sir Tom Moore is? Was Yeah, I know who Tom Moore is, yeah. and I appreciate that comment. But one thing to remember about Bezos is, I mean, yeah, I understand what the, uh, the, the caller is, is thinking. And uh, on the other hand, the thing about Bezos is he did work in McDonald's as a, as a secondary school student. I mean, he's not that different from us, except that he became remarkably rich. He could have been us. Uh, you know, he, he is, again, not that different. So what he's doing is indeed relevant to us, I think. It's not irrelevant. Uh, what about, I mean, the, James is saying there that uh, that humble spirit uh, seems limp in Hong Kong, as exemplified by Sir Tom Moore, I suppose, you know, who was a 100-year-old you know, just doing his bit kind of thing. Well, and it certainly has withered in Hong Kong. I mean, I remember when I first came to Hong Kong, Lee Ka-shing was uh, touted as the most admired Hong Konger. That age has certainly passed because we no longer think that anybody could become super wealthy. The same thing has probably happened in America. So, yeah, I think that is a point, that the idea that anybody can make it has certainly receded uh, in America, but probably even more in Hong Kong. That's why people are leaving. Mm. Okay, well, many thanks for, for joining us. Uh, Gordon Matthews, a professor of anthropology at the uh, Chinese University. A little flurry of emails to uh, finish off. Uh, Mike says, if Jeff follows uh, Bill Gates' example, he will get richer... Uh, after retirement and Mike also says on opening restaurants to open restaurants safely and rapidly you must understand the disease in which we don't to date we still don't know for certain if this is an airborne illness we think it might be but what we know is it is transferred through the mucous membrane eyes nose and mouth what does that mean wash your hands don't touch unclean surfaces then put your hands in your eyes nose or mouth something your keyboard warriors might want to take note of before shooting the messenger that is uh, from Mike and Marlon, uh, who had earlier suggested that uh, 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 Jim and Mike were the same person, says, I stand corrected, but we must remain as vigilant on conspiracy theorist callers as we are with the virus. Bring on the approved vaccines. And uh, Magnus says to email John, where is the evidence that displacing people from restaurants to private apartments improves the public health? It's if the 6pm 
6 p.m. restaurant closure is existed in isolation, uh, of course it would reduce risk. The problem is more nuanced. The displaced persons do not disappear. They simply go to entirely unregulated, stroke, unmanaged settings. That's uh, from Magnus. Thank you very much indeed for uh, uh, all the uh, emails and uh, comments this morning, uh, many of them. Uh, sorry, just a correction. I did say earlier that uh, I, I was incorrect to say that Marcus Lee was a representative of the New People's Party. I'm sorry, that's that's uh, not the case. Uh, leaving you now with the weather. Uh, it's going to be fine, dry and warm. The maximum temperature today uh, will be around 24 degrees and it's going to be fine and warm in the next couple of days. Mist patches in the morning and at night during the weekend and early next week. Signs of spring. A yellow fire danger warning at the moment, 19 Celsius and a relative humidity now at 64%. I'm Lazy Lion. Doing physical activity can bring about benefits for both your health and the environment. For example, when journeys are short, go to your destination on foot instead of using a private car or public transport. This can reduce carbon emissions and improve air quality. For more details, visit chp.gov.hk. Be strong. Together we can fight the virus. 9.33, the news with Samantha Butler. The government has wrapped up overnight lockdowns and compulsory testing at three locations across Hong Kong. No new coronavirus cases have been found, but results are still being verified in Tun Mun. Top health officials in the United States are warning that the spread of new, more transmissible variants of the coronavirus, such as those first seen in the UK and South Africa, could reverse recent positive trends. The director of the US Centers for Disease Control linked recent cases of new variants to people not following social distancing rules. And a bipartisan report to the U.S. Congress has strongly urged the Biden administration to delay the planned withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. The remaining 25,000 troops are due to leave by May the 1st, but a top U.S. general, Joseph Dunford, warned that may be too soon. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. And We're oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The cipher of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning once again and welcome to Thursday. I'm Phil Whelan. This is The Morning Brew. Well, let's see now. Thursday, our weekly sighting of Steve Vines after 10. Join him as always with your top-level punditry. So, Dr. Dave the Vet's already popped by this week, but he'll return to his normal today spot next week. After 12 today, we're going to welcome back Maestro JC Fiennes for more wine talk. He's been unable to join us for the past couple of weeks because he's been travelling all over the place within reason. But he's looking forward.